Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, as of late, Pastor Kirk has been speaking about the life of David as we learn more about the man and his life. Now, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is speaking about David and Jonathan again as we look at 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 through 5. But before we get to that, I want to take this opportunity to invite you to come and worship with us at Calvary Baptist Church. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you need more information, you can find that at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. Now, if you want to email us, you can do that as well, info at calvaryfayetteville.com, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook or even Twitter. We'd love to connect. And if you have any questions at all, reach out and we'll get back to you as quickly as we can. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing our study on the life of David as we look at the power of friendship. Let's listen together. 1 Samuel chapter 18, page number 241 in the Pew Bibles, if you choose to use one of them. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We'll read some verses. We'll then read some verses from chapter 20 before we're through. We began a message last week entitled Stand By Me. It was the beginning of the friendship of David and Jonathan. And we want to continue that today on the thought of the power of friendship. We saw how friendship began for these two men last week. We want to see what their friendship accomplished in what we will talk about today. Now, the story of David and Jonathan is a story of friendship. It is a story of friendship. It was also a story of faith over fear. That is a theme that runs through the life of David, especially in his early days. Both David and Jonathan knew what it was like uh, to face their fears with faith and not be overcome by their fears. And their friendship encouraged and strengthened that. In our day today of individualism and isolation, there's much we have to learn from the story of Jonathan and David. Now, before we read our text, uh, I want to reread a couple of key verses uh, that we mentioned last week. These are words found in the wisdom literature of Scripture, the wisdom literature being Job, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And we have these words from Solomon, the son of David, after David is dead and Solomon is king. And I cannot help but think uh, that these words written by Solomon were written with thoughts of his father and Jonathan's friendship. First of all, from Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9, two are better than one 
because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And then these words from Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This verse speaks of true friendship, not Facebook friendship. I believe that no doubt that very first day when David and Jonathan became friends on the day that David slew Goliath with a sling and a stone, on that very day, David may have lost a brother. For his older brother, who was there along with two other brothers, his oldest brother showed nothing but contempt and resentment for David, critical of him. And at the same time, Jonathan became a friend that would stick closer to him even than a brother. Now, 1 Samuel 18 gives us a vivid picture of this kind of friendship. David has just killed Goliath. He is now standing before King Saul with the head of Goliath still in his hand. I just love that scene. And here he is, this teenage boy, maybe or maybe early 20s at the oldest, the least likely on the battlefield that day to have successfully defeated this nine foot six inch giant of a man that had everybody overcome, overcome with fear. And here stands David, head of Goliath in hand. We take up the reading with chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David along with his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. All right. I shared with you last week three things about this friendship that was birthed on this day of battle. First of all, it was a love at first sight. I realize that's not typically the context we usually use that phrase. If, in fact, love can take place at first sight, I don't know for sure. But if it could, this was love at first sight. As soon as he was finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit. Literally, the word is chained 
was chained to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan recognized in David a, a, a soldier, a warrior like himself, a warrior who was a man of faith. Back in chapter 14, we see Jonathan going out in faith by himself with no one but his armor bearer alongside him and attacking 600 Philistines on that day. He was a man of faith, and so he recognized David as such being willing to face Goliath. True devotion, humility, a sense of duty and loyalty, all of these were characteristics in both Jonathan and David. And Jonathan recognized that, and David recognized that, and their hearts were chained together. Secondly, it was a covenant love. They made a covenant for their friendship. And understand that when we use the word love in regards to David and Jonathan, we can interchangeably use the word friendship. Friendship equaled love here. Love equaled friendship. They made a covenant sealed in blood. And third, it was a sacrificial love. Jonathan stripped off his, his garment, the robe that identified him as the crown prince of Israel. He gave his weapons, his armor, all of this to David. And in essence, whether he realized what he was doing fully or not, he was basically acknowledging the next king of Israel. It was not going to be himself. It was his rightfully by birth, but it was not his by anointing that God had anointed David and David would be the next king. Basically, he was acknowledging that in his actions. He was doing the absolute unheard of thing by recognizing David on that way. Now, understand, on the heels of that great friendship born, on the heels of that, we find all kinds of problems ensuing. On the very heels of this loving friendship, envy, hatred, and hardship is going to be unleashed on David. You would think that everything was looking up. After all, King Saul wasn't going to let David go back home. <clears throat> he was going to take him into the palace itself to be, in essence, the commander of all of his armies, a saying that pleased everybody. But if you remember, you'll remember the story in that every time David went out, the women would come out and they would sing a little ditty about David and Saul. Do you remember that? That little song of praise went something like this. I don't know the tune, so I won't give it one. But basically, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. A greater recognition uh, of, of his warriorhood, so to speak, was given to David than Saul. And that caused great consternation for the king. For you see, the Spirit of God had left him. 
And there was now coming on him an evil spirit. And he was descending and he was sinking now in, into mental illness. We're going to see played out through the remainder of his life. Not only attacking David, the very one who brought uh, victory to, to Israel, to his kingship, but also even descending to the point that he is going to consult witches and end up committing suicide. Now understand that he's venting all of this frustration. He's venting all of this, this newfound hatred for the one who is the hero for Israel, David. And I'm reminded of one other verse written by David's son. This from the words of Solomon in Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for adversity. Jonathan is not going to be a fair weather friend to David. When the giants are killed and when your army is experiencing victory, Jonathan is given to David as a friend by God for times of adversity, for times of hardship, for times of great uh, testing of faith. And I want to suggest to you, were it not for Jonathan, were it not for God's work in and through Jonathan, we probably would never have had a David as a man after God's own heart. I believe that God used Jonathan to help make David who he was. That the hatred and the hardship and experienced by David were powerful, shaping influence in his life. <clears throat> that the hatred and hardship at the hands of the king vented towards David did not turn David away from God, but became a defining factor in his life and accounted for the way he became the man he was. And Jonathan was a part of all of that. For understand, David's, the hatred he experienced at the hand of Saul was hatred of the worst kind. It was not a hatred that was provoked by David's evil behavior or attitudes. It was a hatred vented towards him because of his goodness. Because David was a good man and Saul was not. Saul vented his jealousy and his heart turned to hatred at first in hot-blooded outbursts and then finally in cold-blooded assassination attempts. And I want to suggest to you that the friendship of Jonathan somewhat bracketed this story, gave it some boundaries. For between this first time Jonathan becomes and acknowledges a friend, friendship with David, we just read, and the last time they speak in chapter 20, there's going to be no less than six different attempts on David's life. Now, if you want to look over to verse 41 of chapter 20, this is the record of David and Jonathan's last 
words with each other. The last time they see each other. If you remember, David is having to run from Saul, Jonathan's father, the king. And they work out some signals with sending an arrow out in the field under the pretense of Jonathan practicing his aim. And if you remember some hand signs and stuff that's going to communicate with David in a place of hiding out in the field of what's going on. And so verse 41 says, And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. The last time David and Jonathan would be in one another's presence, the last time they would ever speak to one another. Between those two passages we've read, there are at least six attempts Saul making on the life of David. Three of those Saul attempted with his own spear to, as the scripture says, pin him to the wall. You remember David was brought into the palace to do what initially? Not to be the commander of the army, but to do what? to play a harp and to sing in order to help calm the spirits of a king who was going mad. And it worked until David started to play Christmas music before Thanksgiving. (laughs) And then then King Saul started throwing spears. And I want to suggest to you, in that case, I would have been on Saul's side. It ought to be against the law. Wouldn't you agree? It's awful. And it's also awful that one of the greatest events in human history, the birth of our Savior, has to have songs around that season that have nothing to do with him but have everything to do with driving you and me crazy. Because Christmas music, much of it, is the worst music in the world. Except Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Now that's good writing. We could just go ahead and just wade off into the weeds and talk about this. But no, that's not what David was playing and singing. No doubt he was singing praises, singing some of the psalms that are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. But three times Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his own spear. On two other occasions, he bribed David to fight the Philistines against impossible odds, presuming 
that in trying to fight those battles, the Philistines would win because nobody could stand against such odds. But in every case, David was successful. And then one time, at least, he sent a death squad of men to assassinate David. And none of these things worked. It was the friendship between David and Jonathan that God used to help save David's life. Let me just give you, let me just give you five truths about friendship taken from this story. Five truths about friendship, about a true loving friendship. And let me say at the very outset, the kind of friendship we're talking about here is only possible between Christians, between believers. Now, it's possible to have friends. You have friends that are lost people. You no doubt have had friends who are lost people during the course of your life, some of them very dear friends. But I want to say to you that a friendship between a believer and an unbeliever cannot plumb the depths of what we're going to talk about here. Because a friendship between a believer and an unbeliever will always have its limits. The most important thing in life will not be shared by a believer and an unbeliever. And that is the Spirit of God living and working in your heart and your life. Sooner or later, when your friendship with an unbeliever experiences the kind of adversity and hatred that David experienced here, if you don't share the deepest of all things that holds us together, that is God, the Holy Spirit, living in our lives, if you don't share that, you're going to end up parting ways. This is a friendship that can only be experienced by true believers. Number one, this kind of love and friendship between David and Jonathan is a friendship that takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. This kind of friendship, the sharing of Christ's love with each other, takes what is common to people living in proximity to one another, meeting one another, knowing one another, becoming friends over common interest, understand this kind of friendship where the soul is involved, where the heart of true humanity is involved. This kind of human experience of believers takes what is something, uh, what is common, and makes it holy. It is something that God gives us. It is like, if you'll follow the uh, analogy here. It is like communion. What is communion? Well, it's when the church of God comes together. We also call it the Lord's Supper. But I like the term communion 
because it shares what we have in common and it shows and declares that we are living in community, that we have a relationship, that we have a commonality that you cannot find out in the world somewhere. And communion takes something very common, unleavened bread, nothing special about that. Were it not for what this represents, you would not be eating it ever. It takes what is common, the bread and the fruit of the vine, and we share that together. But what does that bread and what does that fruit of the vine represent? It represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't believe that it literally contains the body and blood of Jesus. We don't hold to transubstantiation or consubstantiation or any of those Catholic ideas of the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice. We recognize what they represent, and it turns that experience into a holy experience. And I want to say to you that maybe one of my greatest regrets, and I don't have many, but one of my greatest regrets about growing up in a very practical missionary Baptist church is that the Lord's Supper, this communion, that means so much was usually just something tagged on to the end of another service, something that we did once a quarter or so through the course of the year, and we never understood. We would let the pendulum swing so far away from the actual body and blood of Jesus that we made it almost nothing in our experience, when in reality, it is something very holy. And the experience of it is very holy. And friendship, true Christian friendship, where you have two people sacrificing themselves for one another, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in a church relationship, or whether it's in a friendship between you and someone that lives half a world away, understand that's what love is. That's what friendship is. It is something that is in human experience, but it is holy. The two people in that kind of friendship, listen, they don't drain one another. They make one another better. You know that you can take two batteries and put them in a flashlight, but turn one the wrong way to where they are facing the wrong direction, and they will drain one another almost in a matter of minutes to nothing being left. I've been in some friendships like that. They were my friends, but they drained me, and I knew that I drained them. But this kind of friendship, in both cases, made the other person a better person. Number two, friendship discerns God in a person's life when others do not. What do you mean friendship discerns God in a person's life when others do not? Well, just the same way that, that Saul did not recognize the work of God in David's life, but Saul's son, Jonathan, did. 
On that day in 1 Samuel 18, after David is standing there with the head of Goliath in his hand, one man sees him as somebody that can advance himself. The other one sees him as someone who is very much the same kind of person as himself, and he loved him as his own soul. Now, if your Bibles are still open to 1 Samuel chapter 20, backing up before that last time that they saw one another, we read these words beginning in verse 14. When David and Jonathan knew that they were not going to be able to remain friends, at least in one another's presence, you have Jonathan speaking, and he says, If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of of the earth. Now pause for just a minute and let's sink in what Jonathan just said. Remember, in the eyes of all the nation of Israel, Jonathan is the king to be after his father dies. He is the crown prince. He is the next one in line. But Jonathan realizes in some way that he is not God's choice. And so what does he say? If I'm still alive, meaning when you come to the throne, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Why? It was typical when one man became a king, what would he do? He would kill all the heirs of the previous king, lest there be no one to threaten his reign. And Jonathan is saying, Please leave me alive. Show me the steadfast love of the Lord and do not cut that off from me or from my house, my descendants. We're going to learn later on in this story that David is going to show the descendants of Jonathan mercy and grace and bring them even into the palace to live, something again that you never, never did. And he said, do this when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Who was the number one enemy of David on the face of the earth? It was Jonathan's daddy. And he is saying, I recognize that God is going to cut off even my father from the throne because he has made himself your enemy and you are God's anointed. Verse 18, excuse me, verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Here they go again, taking an animal, cutting it in half, and passing between the two pieces, uh, showing basically in essence, if I don't keep this covenant or this promise, may I be cut in pieces even as this animal has been. This is how you mark. You didn't just make a covenant, you cut a covenant. And Jonathan cut a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. He's talking about his daddy. He's talking about all those that were loyal to his daddy. 
And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is the third time we find those exact words that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. Now understand, when you have this kind of godly relationship, this kind of godly friendship, this friendship of, uh, of a sharing of souls, of soul brothers, of, of being ba a band of brothers in the Lord, understand that you recognize God in that person's life and they recognize God at work in your life. Friendship discerns God in a person's life when others do not. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans where it says, His Spirit, God's Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's one of the evidences and assurances of salvation. God's Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we belong to Him. It's the testimony of God in your heart. Well, understand this. His Spirit in us, also in life, causes our spirits to bear witness with His Spirit in other people. We're not here, these people that comprise Calvary Baptist Church, because we all like to play pickleball, although some of you do, Sarah in the balcony. It's not because we're all pickleball players. It's not because we all like donuts and coffee. It's not even because we're all Razorback fans, as hard as that is to be these days. We are here. These people, this particular group of people that would never be brought together in any other place, in any other circumstance, in any other time, were it not for the fact that God's Spirit, the same Spirit that bears witness with my spirit, is the same Spirit that bears witness with your spirit, and it causes our spirits to bear witness with each other. And it's why we strive to not only keep the peace, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, but to sacrifice ourselves in order to do so. It's why that, that we share something inside that cannot be explained by any other worldly definition. That's what it means. So this spirit, this friendship, this love discerns God's presence, God's work in a person when other people cannot see it. It's why we have several people preparing to be baptized that have worshiped with us, that have tested out to see if the truth is taught and preached here, if people love one another here, and they've decided, I want to be a part of that. They discern love. They discern friendship. They discern the spirit and God's work in people when others may not recognize it. Number three, very quickly, friendship enters a person's soul 
in a way that hatred cannot. Basically, it is summed up in this. Love trumps hate every time. Every time. Friendship makes a person more. Hatred makes a person less. Be careful what you decide to hate and despise because it may be one of the very things that can destroy your soul. True love conquers what is evil. Light will drive out darkness. Light always wins, ultimately. Friendship, this kind of love, enters a person's soul in a way that hatred cannot. Following that up is this, number four. Friendship, this kind of friendship, is often lived out in the most difficult of circumstances. Remember that verse from Proverbs 17, 17? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Why does God give us this kind of friendship? Because we're going to go through hard times, and there's not a single one of us, there's not a single one of you that are prepared for, that are sufficient to face the kind of problems you're going to face in life and to do it by yourself. Remember, remember, God promises you that he will always give you problems and circumstances that are too big for you to handle. You'll need God, you'll need his word, and you'll need a friend. Understand, it was the covenant made between David and Jonathan that kept them together and that won out. It was not that the conditions changed. If your friendship or love for another is based on the conditions always being right, understand it's never going to happen. Those conditions are, are going to be difficult, the good and the bad. This was not a conditional love. It was a covenant love. Now let me pause for just a minute before I give you point number four and draw this to a close. There was a time uh, several years ago in my ministry and in the life of my family when there were some people who decided they hated us. Now I can give people plenty of reason to hate me but if you hate my wife, understand, there's something wrong with you. And it's not because she's my wife. She's just the kind of person you can't hate. You just can't do it. And then when you decide you hate someone's children because you hate the man of the family, you are the evil of all evils as far as I'm concerned. But there were some people who decided they hated us. They wanted to end my ministry, and they stooped to any means necessary in order to do it. Now keep in mind, these weren't people outside the church. These were people inside the church. Now I'm not saying that they were all in Christ, because they acted more like the devil than like the Lord. But they stooped to some low means. They chose gossip. They chose to undermine me. 
They chose to spread vicious rumors and lies, not only about me, but about my family. They chose to attack any kind of integrity. They made accusations of immorality and all kinds of other things. They had many spears that they began to throw. And never in my life have I been more tempted to retaliate, to strike back, to lower myself to their level. To make it all the worse, they sought to do it in the name of religion and in the name of faith. I was tempted not only to retaliate, I was strongly tempted to renounce my call to the ministry and to walk away. But God sent me some Jonathans. Not just one, but three in particular. Their names were Jeff, Kevin, and Donnie. One of those men, not long after being a Jonathan to me, as a young man in his 40s, on the morning after his first of five children, graduated from high school, had some kind of brain aneurysm, and died two days later. But these Jonathans, Jeff, Kevin, and Donnie, stood by me and my family, and our hearts were chained together. They loved me as they loved their own soul. And I love them and their children and now their grandchildren as I love my own soul. They sacrificed also. They stood so close to me that some of the spears thrown at me hit them also. And I want to say to you, were it not for them, I would not be here I wouldn't have never met you people. I would not have been here for the last 10 years. And I know what somebody here might be thinking. But these were brothers. They were my brothers born for a time of adversity. If you've never experienced some kind of adversity as serious as that, as that whether in the church or out of the church, don't feel left out. You will someday. And you'll need a friend. It's one of the ways that God works. It's one of the ways that God comes to you in the person of a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The fifth point about this kind of friendship is this. It's not only important to give 
but it must also be received. It has to be received. You see, you can only extend the hand of friendship out of love. You cannot force the other person to grasp it. Jonathan reached out on that day of David's battle with Goliath. But if David had not received that friendship and taken hold of that hand of friendship, we wouldn't have had the story of David and Jonathan. But by receiving Jonathan's friendship, David's calling by God to do king work, king work was affirmed and validated and set into motion. Well, let me draw this to a close. Because of Jonathan's friendship and the way God used it to form and shape David's life, David did not grow angry. He did not grow bitter through all of the hardship that as he experienced as a result of Saul's hatred. It's not going to stop, by the way, in chapter 20. It's going to continue through chapter 31. David is going to have to run for his life. And Jonathan is going to continue to assist him indirectly. And Saul is going to try to hunt him down like a dog. Multiple times, David will have the opportunity to kill Saul, but he will not do it because hatred and anger did not set up in his heart. David grew better because of the hardship he experienced, not bitter. And that's the key truth of this lesson today. It is that our problems in life will either make us better or bitter. And really the choice is up to you and me and how we choose to respond. Proverbs 10, again, the words of David's son, Solomon. Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers over all wrongs. Again, he must have had Jonathan and David's love in mind. That love, the love of Jonathan, the love of David covered over the wrongs that were being done to David. After each outbreak of hatred and violence, Saul is weaker and more distraught. After each outbreak of violence, David is stronger and he still has a friend. Bound in the covenant of Jonathan's friendship, David is protected and none of Saul's evil gets inside of his heart. Now look just this way as you close your Bibles. A thousand years later, roll the calendar forward a thousand years from David and Jonathan, and you have Jesus sitting in an upper room with his disciples. It's Passover. These men, so weak spiritually, so full of prejudice and in sometimes expressions of anger, these men that were oh so human 
But nevertheless, they were friends to Jesus, bound to him by covenant love. On the night before he was crucified, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Greater love has no one than this, than a man be willing to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus gave you the ultimate expression of loving friendship when he laid down his life for you. You have the opportunity in that covenant relationship to show now your love for him by walking in obedience to his commands, whatever they are, for your life. Remember, friendship must not only be offered, it must also be received. Jesus has shown, he's reached down to you in friendship. Have you taken hold? Have you believed, surrendered? Jesus has offered his friendship to you. Have you received that friendship through faith in him as your savior and your friend? Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story of David and Jonathan. It inspires us. It intrigues us. It encourages us. But Father, help us to remember and to see that it is a thousand years before he did it. It is a story that gives to us an illustration of what your son Jesus has done for us. May we be found following him, obeying him, living by his commands. If there's anyone here who does not know him as a savior, I pray that you'd make yourself so real today that they would trust him fully. And may we who know you live in the fullness of our faith, overcoming fear, counting Jesus as our dearest friend, and thanking him for the many friends around us who are living in covenant with us as well as the Calvary family. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. 
Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.